Welcome to the Gone Fishing Podcast, episode number 12. In today's episode, I'm going to discuss the conclusion of tolerance, how the new approach to tolerance is destroying our lives, families, and country. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Gone Fishing Podcast. Join Ron Bouchard as he casts a wide net sharing his philosophy of life, business, and success, and goes fishing for wisdom in interviews with other entrepreneurs, authors, and thought leaders. You'll hear their stories of triumph and tribulation. If you're an aspiring entrepreneur trying to succeed outside the confines of the current of social expectation, bring the bait and join us for Gone Fishing. Welcome to the Gone Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Bouchard. The title of this week's podcast is Tolerance, How the New Approach to Tolerance is Destroying Our Lives, Families, and Country. Now, last week I spoke about the definition of tolerance, the natural origin of truth, and how these two have changed over the years. I'm going to start by recapping those points in order to bring you the context in which I'm going to base the conclusion. And the conclusion is primarily the observable objective truth that our lives, family, and country is in danger of destruction. And this week, I'm joined by Dinka Vojevic of Coaching by Dinka. How are you doing, Dinka? I'm doing great, Ron. How are you? Not bad. Thank you very much for joining me, especially on short notice. I wanted to get this this episode right. Now, what did you think about last week's episode? I learned a lot because uh, I never knew that what we're, the way we're communicating nowadays is no longer traditional tolerance. I never actually thought about it in 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 in, in that way as a definition. And then once you once I listened to your podcast, it was a real eye opener, and that's when I could see the trend how we we from traditional tolerance how we came into this situation now with this modern way of of communicating and really having no tolerance uh, towards anybody's anybody's opinion or or stand on anything unless that completely uh concurs with what we believe so so i love love the way how you you broke everything down explained it and then gave many very good examples so yes i thought it was a very insightful podcast yes and as you know last week i talked about the moral order which is the body of unwritten social mores and conventions which serve to maintain social order and the moral order stems from a creator God. And I think we've gotten away from a creator God, as you know. And moral truth is based on that moral order. And moral truth uh, states that a statement is true when it corresponds with reality, is objective, and can be observed. And our country was based on that moral order and natural law or moral truth. It is also built upon a foundation of rights granted by God, which grants us inalienable rights, which cannot be taken by man. These rights include the right to liberty, life, and the pursuit of happiness. And in our country, the individual matters, and thus their individual beliefs are honored, even if they're not adopted or shared. That's not to say that we've acted perfectly, because we certainly have not. Our country has its share of sins, but our sins are not America's sins, but the sins of mankind. What makes America great is a foundation upon which she was built, and not the perfection of the people who live here. Some people always act out of self-interest and will pursue power, as they have done in every country on earth. And traditional tolerance is the only way our diverse group of people with diverse beliefs can get along while still respecting the individual. Now, traditional tolerance is defined as the ability or willingness to tolerate something, in particular, the existence of opinions or behaviors that one does not agree with. Now, traditional tolerance is real tolerance because it respects and protects people and the right to behave or think differently than you. Just as God gave mankind free will to follow him or not, we have the right to pursue life as we see fit, provided it doesn't violate the rights of others or the law. And for hundreds of years, societal order was based on that tolerance. I mean, we had a foundation on moral standard or measuring stick to help us discern moral truth where natural law and God was the center of all things. And truth could be observed and was objective. It was free from manipulation of man. And over the years, somehow, we have progressively removed the metrics of moral order and moral truth. And in its stead, we have shifted 
to truth based on subjective standards and subjective tolerance where all beliefs, lifestyles, and truth claims are considered equal. And even worse today, there is a new third tolerance, a cultural tolerance, based not on the individual but on the collective ideas, not on objective observable truth but by feeling. And this new cultural tolerance states the only beliefs, lifestyles, and truth claims felt and adopted by this progressive powers that be are the ones to be tolerated. And anyone who doesn't share such beliefs should be attacked, labeled, and hated. Now, this form of tolerance is branded as tolerance. However, it's actually the opposite, because it is intolerant of truth and the difference of the individual. Why? Because if you only hang around with people, listen to people, or tolerate people with whom you agree, you're missing the central tenet of tolerance, which is disagreement. You can recognize intolerance because intolerant people do not listen to or tolerate others' points of view, and worse, they try to suppress such views which differ from their own. Now, what happens when you remove truth? Well, when you remove truth, you open the door to deception. When you remove God as the center of your truth, you open the door to evil. And when you attack the foundation of the country and divide its people, tyranny is not far behind. Now, our country, our constitution, our way of life is under attack. It has been since the 1930s, but never have we faced a situation like we are today. Not only do we have a society of ignorant and fearful people, as described by Napoleon Hill, we have a society in which we are shamed for opposing a position other than the one held by those who embrace the Marxist totalitarian worldviews. These worldviews are anti-American, anti-constitutional, anti-individual rights, intolerant, and a threat to everything we hold dear. So what do you think about that? Uh, I, I agree with you. I'm sad to say that I agree with you. And um, I see what's happening in America today is exactly what is happening in the country where I grew up. And I see the signs and symptoms. And um, it's very difficult for me to watch this because um, I feel like I lost my country once many, many years ago, came here, and I fear that I will lose my adopted country too. And that would be <laughs> really devastating to me. But some people would say I'm exaggerating. Uh, no, you're not exaggerating because, um, I mean, I can go through a list of things that, that I, you know, that can support everything you just said. I mean, from, from the government, uh, first of all, the government in a, in a socialistic or my country was uh, called a, a socialistic federation, uh, but it was actually a communist party because we only had one party that was ruling and that was the communist party. So the first thing is the government is huge and the government, as we all know, doesn't create wealth or value. And when you have a huge government, it becomes very corrupt and the citizens have to work for that government and pay huge amounts of taxes. That's one thing that we see now. Our government has gotten so big that, I mean, we can go into so many details that, that how many, how many different organizations and social services and things we we created in the last 20, 30 years. I can talk about healthcare. Ever since the Affordable Care Act was passed, that is very similar to, to the socialized medicine, what we had in my country. There is a lot of talk about uh, free schools. That's another thing that, that communist countries and socialistic countries have. There's a lot more that I can list here that will support everything that you said that we're going that way. So whoever is skeptical needs to really look and see how has our country changed. You know, let's say maybe I won't even say 30, 40 years, just like last 10 years or 15 years and see a drastic, drastic direction towards socialism. But that's the problem when you don't have the metrics. When you don't have truth and you can feel truth, whatever you feel happens to be true. 
And when you were not taught in school the actual foundation of our Constitution and why the Constitution is important, and worse, not only that the Constitution is not important, but that America is a systemically racist country and should be hated. So when you're teaching stuff like that in school, it's no wonder why we're turning out the way we are. And unfortunately, it's dividing America, and it's based on a lie. So I think that there are two fundamental groups in America today. Last week, I opened the show reading from Napoleon Hill's uh, Magic Letter of Success in his, in his um, chapter of Tolerance. And he said, when you have an intolerant people, there are roughly two groups that come out of that. Number one is a group where people are fearful. And number two, a group is ignorant. And if you look at America today, that describes perfectly the two factions that we have. We have a bunch of people who are constitution-loving people who just want to mind their own business, but they're afraid of speaking out because they're going to be labeled. They're going to be labeled as, um, you know, racist. And racism, for some reason, that that cuts the deepest. But they're going to be called um, intolerant. They're going to be called homophobes. They're going to be called uh, xenophobes. And all other types of labels that they pull out of the air. Um, They can't express their political points of view. And they can't express their opinion on anything. I mean, J.K. Rawlings just made a comment, and they're burning her books in the square. It's okay to differ on people's opinions. And in a free country, it's that's the way we work. For instance, if you are a person who is um, Jewish and you believe that eating pork is, um, is against religion and it's unclean, or if you're Muslim and you believe that eating swine or pork is unclean, or if you're a Hindu and you believe eating animals of any sort are unclean, or if you're a member of PETA, and you believe that wearing animals on your skin, or, you know, animal skins, or or eating animals, or experimenting on annual animals, or beating animals for sport is bad. America is the only place where each one of those groups can live and live the life they choose without interrupting other people's liberties. And in some instances, like in the Peter situation, Americans may even agree and outlaw using animals as sport and torturing animals. So we could, if we wanted to, make it, make a law that we ban meat of all kinds. But what about people who like to eat meat? Shouldn't their constitutional privilege be understood? And not only that, what would happen to our food supply if we all of a sudden stopped eating meat and then had to rely on agriculture for everything. That sort of taxing situation would cause us to starve. So America is the only country on earth that values these individual liberties. So I want to read a, a article um, that pinpoints exactly where we're going. It's from the Hill, and it's actually from July, July 30th of this year. And the title of the article is, China and Russia have a plan to defeat America, and America's far left is carrying it out. So, you know, it's hard to hear that and to trust it, right? Yes, it is. (laughs) So I want to read a little bit, and I want to discuss it. So it says, with apologies to Winston Churchill, whose statue is likely to be pulled down somewhere sometime soon, The following observations appear to be in order. Never have so many people been made so guilty by so few. The national shaming campaign that has seized the microphone in the past couple of months wants you to know that America is systematically racist, that America is hateful and phobic, and is a house hopelessly divided. The message is not true. What it is, instead, is a purposeful plan being carried out by those favoring a more Marxist or totalitarian worldview, very likely with the shadow support of foreign governments. That there are elements of racism, I mean real racism in this country, is undeniable. 
Black Americans have suffered in many ways in America. Even where there is no overt racism, there still can be a kind of indifference or apathy that keeps one's conscience dulled to the hurtful experience of others. But the Black Lives Matter message, at its core, resonates with people of good intentions all across all races. Unfortunately, the message is being hijacked and used for cover by violent pawns of America's far left who want a different form of government than the one we have today. Here's what years of intelligence collection by the FBI and other parts of intelligence community have long determined. China and Russia know they cannot defeat the uh, the United States militarily or economically. Yet the elimination of the, of the U.S. as a superpower that impedes their communist vision remains their goal. Both China, which has thieved its way to full prosperity, and Russia, with its perpetual inferiority complex fueling its tiresome resentments, have pinned their hopes on dividing Americans, on pitting us against each other as a means of breaking a unified national will and rendering, as the spirited, unable or unwilling to respond to their future, and disinformation campaigns accentuating America's faults historically have been a favorite strategy, particularly by Russia. Both of those countries are well aware that more convenient way to divide America is along racial lines. And since America is um, in magnitude more racially diverse than any other country on earth, America's hypersensitive um, hypersensitivity to charges of racism because of our long struggle to create a country where an unprecedented collision of races, creeds, and cultures can coexist under an ideal of ideal liberty. Um, given man's, mankind's history, it's a miracle we have any success at all. So what do you think about that? Um, makes sense that that's the best way, slowly, strategically, to destroy us by infusing communism into socialism and communism into this country. This is, this is their very, um, very uh, interesting and I don't want to say brilliant, but, but a really good way to, to break us up and, and um, to somehow start controlling us. And uh, it, it, it is working. I mean, just, the few things that I listed that that we talked about, I, I forgot to mention, not that I forgot, but I was going to mention censoring of all the news, being able to, to read different types of opinions. That's not, not the case anymore. I mean, everything that is not mainstream media is being censored and people are being taken down by big platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. This is what was happening. This is what happens actually in communist countries. This is what was happening in my country. Uh, you only were allowed to, to hear one, one opinion. And if you criticize the government or said anything, you were taken away. Here they take down your account in my country, you were taken away and basically, you know, killed. You disappeared. So here, what's happening right now, if you are, as I said, not not part of the mainstream media agenda and philosophy and way of thinking, you're just you're shut down. If people think that this is not happening, look at what's going on in the streets of America today. How do you tell a Marxist revolutionary? Well, they have three things in common as far as I can tell. Number one, deception. They cannot tell the truth. They lie. Number two, they believe in forcing people to do as they tell them to do. The third thing is destruction. Destruction, okay. So we have destruction, force, and deception. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at any group, can you see people who are using force, deception, and and destruction. Yes. Yes, I can. So, let's look at Black Lives Matter for instance. Black Lives Matter is is a a front. Now, people who are in Black Lives Matter meanwhile and they're peacefully protesting, they're not the problem. In America, we have a constitutional right to peacefully protest. But when peaceful protest crosses the line, 
into um, violence when we have public disagreements about free speech and the cancel culture um, decide that you can't say certain things and they're urging audiences to engage in violence and other criminal behavior, they're no longer playing by the rules of a free society. They're trying to overthrow a society. When they're engaging in trespassing and vandalizing and physical obstruction or worse, they are not peaceful protesters. They are criminals. They're enemies of our country. They're domestic enemies of the Constitution. Well, Black Lives Matter, (laughs) one of the Black Lives Matter, this is from the Daily Signal just days ago, the Black Lives Matter co-founder and pro-communist China group are partnering up. Hmm. I wonder what they're partnering up to do. (laughs) In fact, if you go into Black Lives Matter's website and you go into um, Support Black Futures Lab, automatically donates money to the Chinese Progressive Association of Communist China. What do you think of that? Obviously, I'm not surprised. That, that, that doesn't surprise me. And what I also wanted to add to, to what you said, peacefully protest. Uh, what about people peacefully, peacefully protesting uh, against, let's say, this violence or, or peacefully protesting for issues that are, again, different or do not concur with the agenda of a mainstream media. What happens then? They get attacked or they get shut down or or they just simply cannot go out and protest. Uh, the same thing was happening in my um, home country uh, they would say, oh, you have the right to express your opinion. You uh, you know, you can say anything you want. Yes, you can say only what fits into the what fits into the guidelines of the communist country. But if you said anything else that was different, that didn't didn't um, serve the communist party and their totalitarian regime, you were removed. So so. Double standard, and that's what's happening here now too. Double standard. People can people can destroy, people can loot, people can, you know, go around and, and, and shoot, and that's called peaceful protesting. And then uh, if you have forest fires, certain governors call that uh, climate change. When when our our forests are burning they're calling a climate change and that's not good obviously it's not good but then when our cities are burning it's called um peaceful protests how does this make any sense well it doesn't especially since they found out that the climate change wasn't really climate change it was actually arson yes (laughs) Yes. and in your neck of the woods specifically you can go and you can riot and burn stuff down but you cannot worship in a field. Mm-hmm. So there was a field of churchgoers. They were social distancing, wearing masks, and they were asked by the authorities to leave. And when they said, no, we're peacefully protesting, <laughs> all of their equipment was stole- was taken and confiscated, and they were forced away. And what was their crime? They were praying. Mm-hmm. And as you know, Marxism does not like religion. It does not like religion at all. It calls it the opium of the masses. So in America today, politicians have been quite successful at convincing millions of people to believe without verification that socialism can work. Now, in order to do so, they've had to deceive, make false promises, cherry-pick information. You know, in addition, they've convinced everybody that systematically racist, phobic, hateful, and corrupt. And they're using cancel culture, social unrest, and historical reversionism to to, um, soften the idea of socialism. And they have no idea who Marx is or what he was hell-bent on doing. So are you familiar with some of Marx's poems? Yes, I am. With most of, yes, most of his poems. So, Which one I'm, 
Yeah. I'm going gonna, gonna to read two of them, just some words from it. The hellish vapors that rise and fill my brain. Till I go mad and my heart is utterly changed. See the sword? The prince of darkness sold it to me. For me, he beats the time and gives the signs. Even more boldly, I play the dance of death. Very nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how about this? The blood violinist is not destroying the world because he hates it. But he is doing so in order to spite God, out of derision and mockery, mockery against the creator. He is a rebel like Satan, the ultimate rebel against God in heaven. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, uh, when we were um, Second World War, one of the uh, politicians asked our president to be at a time. Uh, what's going to happen if our entire nation perishes in this in this bloody war and you know what his answer was he said that does not matter what matter is the ideology the communism so if my entire nation perishes i will bring a different nation here the main thing and the main agenda is to have communist regime can you believe he actually came out and said this and people are not allowed to to say anything or to to be shocked or complain this is what he said so so the idea was more di- I, the ideology and the idea was more important than human lives or his own his own people well you know that marx was a catastrophic idea his his um philosophy is catastrophic tyrants and butchers have inspired all around the countries to um, includes such successors as Lenin, Stalin, Mao Zedong, Pol Pot, who were responsible for a hundred million of our fellow human beings, as well as the enslavement and immiseration of many millions more. Wherever Marx goes, death and misery go with it. There is no country on the face of this earth where Marxism has been employed successfully. In fact, there are five or six steps to Marxism. The first of which is Marx uh, aims at destroying and controlling all ownership of private property and elimination of classes. So as soon as it gets to that level where it's time to eliminate classes, that's where it ends. Now, they're very successful at eliminating private ownership and, and classes because all the people in the country lie dead. Yes. So, the, yeah, there, I was just going to say uh, no incentive because uh, if you don't have any private enterprise, everything is government owned and uh, people are just basically drifting in the current. Uh, there is no any kind of a prosperity, motivation. It, it, it's very sad and it's very depressing. So not having private ownership and not being able to to do something that you want to do a little differently um, is, is really devastating to us as a human race because you're just a part of this. this um, I always remember the um, – I always <laughs> try to say that that to me is like a – uh, the cave, the allegory that uh, Plato, Plato's allegory of the cave, how people have no idea what's out there because they only live what's what's available to them, what they know from birth, and that's how they die. And it's it's really sad. It is sad, but how do we wake people up to the realization that we're heading down a very dark path, and once that door is open, it cannot be shut again. The Founding Fathers, if you read any of the Founding Fathers' quotes, they are all warning signals to a world where that door should never be opened. So um, over the weekend, I was telling you that I watched the movie 1984 by George Orwell. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a very interesting movie. Scary, but interesting. And as you know, it opens up with a theater full of individuals sitting and watching a screen, watching how a war is being fought for 
um, the betterment of the citizenry and how the citizenry reacts when they use the propaganda on the screen saying how wonderful the country that they live in is. And they react and they cry and they put up their arms in solidarity. But then you watch the movie a little deeper and you realize that every TV screen in all of the uh, the movie is watching you. So you can't get away with anything. And what are the crimes? Well, the crime in that world is to think for yourself. Now, the book was written in 1954, but the three tenets were war is peace, freedom is slavery, and ignorance is strength. So can you imagine living in a world where war is peace, freedom is slavery, and ignorance is strength, where up is down and down is up? Oh, wait a minute. That seems to be the world that we currently live in. Yes, yes. And and um, <laughs> I, I just don't I, – I, it's like really uh, we are basically chained to the wall, just like in that cave and, uh, you know, facing a blank wall. And uh, we don't even realize it. And the problem is once you open that door uh, – how do we go back? That's very difficult. And this is the question that I keep asking because I look at my own country and I look at the Eastern Bloc communist countries. Uh, how many years? I mean, look at Russia. It's been more than 100 years. The other Eastern, since they have, since their revolution in, in 1917, I mean, look at the other Eastern Bloc communist countries since 1945, the end of the Second World War. They still are trying to to get out of the of the socialistic way of thinking, but it's very difficult because it takes generations of people to be born in order to adopt a different way of, of thinking, a different mindset, uh, provided that the government is trying to cooperate. But what's happening right now? When I look at most of the um, ex-communist countries in the Eastern European bloc, there's not much progress there. So, so the very good question was that once you open that door, um, it's very dangerous because the question is, are we going to go, be able to go back ever uh, before we completely destroy ourselves? So we're living in a very, very volatile times. And I think that right now with this COVID, uh, people are waking up. And I think it's so important to spread the message. And for people not to believe what I say or what you say, um, no, just, just to think for themselves and do their own research and, and learn from history. And that's what they're not doing. They don't know who Marx is. And because they don't know who Marx is, they're not um, afraid of Marxism. You know, the generations that we have growing up have not lived through the fall of the Soviet Union. They don't know about the re-education camps in Mao. They don't know about China. They don't know about communist killing fields. I mean, the Cambodian killing fields. They don't know about socialist policies. They don't know about Nazi Germany and his socialist ideal. They don't know what it means when a dictator decides the fate of everyone. Now, Marx sounds pretty interesting, right? Because he feels like you're being victimized by the, by the, the owners of the factories and that the labor should be owning of everything. But it never ends up that way. The only thing it ends up with in Marx is death. Because in order to take over everything, they has to use force. And they'll do anything. Because Marxism is not a political philosophy. Marxism is a religion. Yeah, it is It is the form of religion. And I just wanted to add a very, very good point you made Um People here do not understand what Marxism is. They do not understand what communism is because they haven't lived it. They don't know what it's like to live in the walls. They, they, we have walls. We used to have walls 
so we couldn't leave our country, which I mean, I say metaphorically, we didn't have walls. Yeah, there was a, actually a wall in Germany. Everybody knows about the wall between, between the Eastern and Western Berlin. But I'm talking about the walls where you had no right to travel. You, you had no right to have a passport, so you couldn't travel to another country. In some of the very, very um, oppressive communist regimes, some of the countries, I don't want to name them now, were a little bit more worse, I would say more worse off than some others. You couldn't even travel from a town to a town. Like you wanted to visit your parents that were maybe uh, 50 miles away. You had to go and wait in line and apply at the government agency. Uh, just like you apply for driver's license here, you have to wait in line, you apply, and then you, you're either granted a visit that you can travel to a different city and visit your parents, or you were denied. And um, this was the reality that people lived under. And and it's really interesting to me when people talk about freedom here and think that socialism is freedom. They have no idea that, you know, they have no idea what it's like to live in, 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 in a society like that. You can't travel. Uh, you know, you can't go to a doctor if you're ill. The government has to decide if you can, and then if you need to have a test, uh, you wait for six months, and, and in those six months, you might even die. And then once the test comes out, they, they have to decide if you're too old or you're too young or too vulnerable. So government makes all the decisions about every segment of your life. Is this what we want? Is this what they think freedom is? No. This is socialism. This is Marxism. This is communism. And I think the biggest lie is that the majority of people feel that way. In fact, a very small minority of people are in line with the socialist point of view. But because they are the loudest, people think that they are the um, biggest. But they are not. There are many people in this country, many more people in this country, who love the freedoms of America who love the promise of America. And we need to stand together because united we stand, divided we fall. Now, our company is, our, our world is not divided by race, color, gender, or religion, contrary to popular belief. Our world is divided into wise people and fools. And fools divide themselves by race, color, gender, or religion. That was Nelson Mandela. Yeah, that's 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 a very powerful statement. It's so true. Yeah, yeah. My country was all uh, one ethnic group, really. I mean, different religions, but one ethnic group, um, same race, and yeah, we were divided the same way uh, with fools and <laughs> and people who who were not fools, people who understood what was going on but were afraid to speak up because they would be they would uh, suffer the consequences of it. Um, and then the small percentage that was um, uh, that 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 was part of the government and just uh, did everything in order to keep their you know st status and uh, that's that's what happened. The small percentage of people was ruling the majority of us, and we had to be quiet. I think that my premise that America is heading in a very dark path and that if we're not careful, our lives, our country, and our families are at stake is not an understatement. In America today, with all the ignorance, we can even discern truth. We don't know anything about the coronavirus. We know nothing about it. And every time we think we know something, they send us more contradictory information. Everyone's marching around like little robots with masks on, staying six feet apart, not realizing why. They don't even ask themselves why. They grant the government um, the idea that they're protecting us. But are they really? No. You know, no, maybe not. I'm getting old. Maybe I'm getting old. I'm getting a little cynical. 
Uh, Ron, I think, <laughs> I think we're a big social experiment here and, um, the social experiment worked and it proved that what you just said, we're not questioning anything. We're not thinking, uh, we're, we're not even willing to look at, um, uh, anything opposing to what we, what we think we believe. And we think that we believe what the government is telling us. We think that's true because we're not willing to look at it and say, this doesn't make any sense. Let me, let me look at biology books and learn about viruses and learn about human body and, and immune system. No, they trust the government and this is exactly what, what happened. The government globally, I think this is happening now too, not just in America. They, they conducted a social experiment which worked in less than six months. So the question now is what's next? If we were so eager to succumb to their irrational rules and carry them out, not maybe like maybe two, three weeks a month, the people were still kind of in a state of shock, didn't know what was going on, but we had so much time now to educate ourselves and see for ourselves or ask a question, is this mask really helping? Is this really helping us? Look at different countries that use herd immunity and compare and educate yourself. No, we just blindly follow, put the mask on, social distance, and period. And the problem is we can't get truth. The WHO in the first days of the pandemic made statements that healthy people do not need to wear a mask. And then on April 1st, they said that only uh, patients and their caregivers should wear masks. However, on June 5th, they came out and announced a change and advised the general public to wear masks. And then they said, in light of evolving evidence, who advises governments to encourage the general public to wear masks where there is widespread COVID-19 only, transmission and physical distancing is difficult, and on such places as public transmission shops and other crowded environments. So how can we trust the government or trust a body if the metric keeps on changing. And how can we not look at that change with cynicism saying, is it changing based on updated information or is it changing based on some other metric? It's, it's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's changing on some other metric, not, not on a factual information because uh, if you really want to find out a factual information, you can go into uh into many, many medical journals, and you can read about it. You can go to uh, Journal of American Medical Association. Anyone has can have an access to that online and educate themselves about COVID, about, about viruses, about our innate immune system, about the cytokine storm, about the supplementation, medications, everything that works. You can, uh, you can check that. You can also go into a CDC uh, website and and read the fine print and find out the truth. But, you know, we have become very lazy because it's so much easier just to sit in front of the TV and um, watch the news and have the news feed us the, um, you know, the, the information. So um, nobody is, nobody's trying to do the homework, find out for themselves. And it's a shame. And what is truth they call in conspiracy theory? When a conspiracy theory just means it's a theory. But right now we have access to so much data. We have YouTube full of videos with people saying things in their own words. And even if you show them point blank the proof, they still say it is a lie. So how can we survive as a country if you can show somebody def definitive proof, objective proof, and they still deny it? Well, they have to be ready to look at that objective truth. But the problem is, my question is, question is 
why is it that people do not want to look at objective truth? I would think any any reasonable human being in the 21st century would welcome a, 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 any sort of information, especially information that concerns your health and your not just your health, your your livelihood, your you know your lifestyle, everything. I mean, everything is at stake right now. Why would we refuse to look at that? That's I don't have the answer. Do you, Ron? I think it's more about being woke. I think it's more about feeling significant and being part of a group. I think it's more about satisfying the human needs that we are so hell-bent on satisfying. And we're doing so in a very different way now. We're, we're satisfying our significance by being part of a group that feels a certain way about a certain issue rather than actually looks to see if what they feel is true. So you're saying that uh, what you're saying is that people will trade in their lifestyle, their livelihood, their health, just in order to achieve the uh, to to satisfy the basic need for significance in such a shallow way. Is this where we came as a human race? Can you explain wokeism? I mean, being woke. Can you explain being woke any other way? Uh no, I mean, really, I don't know what to tell you. I, I have to agree with what you said. How can we live in a world where we, we sacrifice truth for being part of a group that gives us significance? How can we? And yet it's done every single day. We have people who are, who are professing white guilt. Right, which means they should feel bad about something. Of course, something they actually didn't do anything to feel bad about, but the, the confessing makes them feel part of a group, makes them feel woke. And then they get to yell and scream at somebody else and blame somebody they've never met for something that never happened. It is amazing to me what, how far we've, we've slid down this rabbit hole. And I only hope we have enough time to wake up before we're lost forever in some odd wonderland. <laughs> you know, I'm hopeful because of what you said earlier in this podcast that majority of people are actually awake. It, it, is, the, it is the minority that screams louder. And that's why I am very confident and I, maybe I should say very confident, but I am confident that uh, most of the people are awake and hopefully things will get, and I regret to use the word hopefully, but hopefully things have to get really, really, really bad in order for that minority to completely wake up and see uh, the damage that, that is being inflicted on, on this country right now. I, as yeah. I said, I'm hopeful, yeah. Most of the people who are up in arms are actually privileged. They're not privileged because they're white, though. They're privileged because they come from very rich families, very privileged families. And they've never had to work a day in their life. They've never had to do anything in their life of any substance. They've never had to build anything. Because if you, uh, if you have that privilege, if you never had to work, if you never really had to go out of your comfort zone, if everything was given to you, you really cannot understand what the other person is going through. Just like what I said before, an American, which actually you said, and I, I gave an example, that an American, average American, does not understand what Marxism is and what socialism is because they never lived in a socialistic country. Uh, so I just hope that we won't come to that point that we have to actually experience what that's like in order for us to learn the lesson because once we open that door, as you said, it's very difficult to go back, very difficult.
and the failure to launch generation who are angry, but without fully knowing why, most of them, as a short bet, couldn't even accurately define fascism, the very thing that they're supposedly anti. Many are children of affluence who have never known depravity, and yet they have been persuaded that America is evil. They've been pampered. They've made weak the easily manipulated minds. And that's why I say they make up the ignorant part of the class. And the problem with the ignorant class is they think they know that which they have no idea. <laughs> really said be- beautifully said, Ron, that, yeah. So, Dinka, thank you very much for being on this podcast. I mean, I don't want to go crazy into this, but there's a new book out. It's called The Devil and Karl Marx by Paul Craig uh, Kruger. And I encourage people to, to read it because if you really want to know the man behind the philosophy, why don't you start by actually listening to the words of Marx himself? Why don't you go and see how depraved he was? Why don't you go and see why his son-in-law, his daughter, his other son, and his, his daughter's wife killed themselves? Why don't you go see why his father, would, his, his other son would send him letters calling him my father the devil? Why don't you go see the man behind the philosophy? And then, when you realize and you put this into context, then you can come back and tell us how, how evil America is. Because no one in this world was more evil than that man was. And to hold up a banner calling America evil at the same time holding up a flag of Marxism with fists in the air is the epitome of ignorant. Indeed, I have to say that. Well, thank you very much for thinking for being on this podcast today. And thank you very much for short notice. And thank you for listening and joining me next week for a lighter topic how to create, maintain, and cultivate habits of health and wellness. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to Apple Podcasts or by visiting our website at www.gonefishingpodcast.com. And remember, life is an ocean, a strong boat, your foundation. If you want to succeed, identify a harbor, unfurl your sails, sail outside the drift currents of social expectation, and let's go fishing. You've reached the end of another episode of the Gone Fishing Podcast. Connect with us at www.waypointmastermind.com where you can sign up for our newsletter to receive our free tools and resources. This podcast has been brought to you by Waypoint Mastermind. Personal growth and support through collaboration with a community of like-minded achievers. See you in the next episode.